0: All right. Hello and welcome to the 52nd one-year anniversary show for Continuing Conversations. I am your host for this session. Uh, Jeff Harvey, you can follow me at Studio Tempo and all the other places. There's a link in the link tree uh, in the in the chat there. I am joined by the incomparable Michael Dismuke uh, and Jim Johnson, the regular hosts of New Conversations. Guys, how are you?
1: I'm, I'm are you? doing excellent. Just me and Jim are both besides ourselves that we actually got to episode 52 and it was effortless. So we're we're really happy to be here today.
2: Well, the, the this show is the effortless part. The hard part is actually making all the products and stuff to, to get us to talk about them. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I can't believe it's been a year. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where the year went, man. It just flew by.
0: Well, joining us today for this very special occasion, are authors Dayton Ward and Scott Pearson. Guys, uh, I haven't met you guys before, but uh, Michael speaks very highly of you. And I've, I love your books. So uh, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, Thanks. for having us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. Everybody here is a huge Star Trek fan, and obviously anyone watching the show is also gonna be a huge Star Trek fan. What I need to know from everybody is what is your favorite Star Trek series to date? I mean, for me, I'm a DS9 guy. So Michael, what do you got?
1: Anyone who's been watching me knows I am a diehard Voyager fan. It's all about the ladies of check for me. It's the Janeway Torres 7 connection that 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 revived my my uh, passion for the show. So I'm going to have to give it to Voyager. Yeah. Voyager's a good show. Jim, what do you got?
2: Uh, uh, like you, I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a DS nine guy. I think I, I really appreciated the original series. Cause that's what I grew up on. Uh, next gen was influential, of course, but I think once DS nine came out, that's the one that really hooked me uh, just because it was different enough uh, from next gen and original series that it, it, it expanded the, the, the setting in a way that uh, I really appreciated at the time. Awesome.
0: Dayton, uh, you got a lot of Trek under your belt, like I mean, obviously the Coda books and everything else. What is your uh, what's your favorite series?
4: If I have to settle on just one, we're talking about favorite. No, no judgments about who's the best or whatever. I'm a, I'm sure. an original series fan. That's the one that I grew up with. That's my that's my Star Trek. Uh, but, you know, I acknowledge the superiority of other iterations like, you know, DS9. <laughs> my favorite, my the one that I think of when you say the word Star Trek. I think of the original series that's fair
0: Scott what's yours
3: I'm with Dayton the original series is always going to be near and dear to my heart it has a nostalgia for me that will never be matched by any of the other series Uh, it meant so much to me growing up Um, and so I always go with that nostalgia answer but uh, then probably right below that is DS9 that's
0: fair yeah, the original series is one of those shows that uh, it's so iconic and and it's one of those shows that really brings everyone kind of it's really kind of polarizing. Actually, I would say it's I was going to say it brings everyone together, but it doesn't do that at all. Everyone either you either like the original series or you really hate it um, mm-hmm. on that same token, though. Everyone's got their favorite captain. Let's that's, that's the question everybody's going to ask in, on the Twitch uh, chat anyways. So who's got favorite captain? I mean, favorite series, but favorite captain.
1: You, I, you, you just heard mine, Jane. Yeah,
0: Janeway. Obviously, so. <laughs> I
1: mean, I have to. I have, I have to admit, Pike's giving her a run for the money right now for me. Uh, uh, but overall, Janeway still. I, I would love. Anson it. Mount's hair is ridiculous. I absolutely love every second of it. So,
2: <laughs> it gets bigger every episode. Ever, it's right?
0: Pike's peak is just growing every day. Yeah. So, <laughs> Jim, what do you? Who's your favorite captain?
2: Oh man, this is tough because I think uh, you know I I, I, lo- I really like Cisco because I think he's the most complete. Um, captain character in the in the franchise, but yeah. I think in terms of like my favorite character that or my favorite captain that I just enjoy watching, I think it's got to be Kirk. Okay, um, especially the original series, Kirk. Not so much in the in the later movies. I, I think um, like Generations, he was looking a little threadbare. But I think uh, the, the, the original series, those three seasons, uh, even into the animated series a little bit, I think Kirk had everything going on. Uh, those characters were so well, at least the 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 Trinity were were so well written. Yeah, uh, You know, Kirk's fucking McCoy. And I don't think another series has really quite gotten to that level of connection. Yeah. And Kirk was the linchpin for that, for that group. So I think Kirk is my favorite of the, of everybody.
0: As much as Kirk's movie appearances aren't the most ideal, I think he gets the best line in the movie series, movie, the whole franchise, which is why does God need a starship? But yeah. fantastic. <laughs> um, all right, Dayton, who's your favorite captain, Dayton?
4: Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because, you know, Picard, I think, is a is a much more seasoned leader, mm-hmm. much more. He's more experienced, got a little bit more, you know, worldview under his belt. But it's kind of like like we we're talking about for the original show. So for nostalgia purposes, you know, Kirk's the guy. He's the guy. He was the childhood hero for a guy who still is kind of a kid at heart. <laughs> so I got to go with that. But I mean, Pike is Pike is coming up fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I I really enjoy Anson Mount's portrayal. And the hair turns in a fine performance every week. It's
0: the star of every episode. Scott, Scott, go ahead.
3: I have to, I'm going to be an echo again, because it's going to be Kirk as the all-time favorite from my childhood. But uh,
0: yeah, I am loving Anson Mount as Pike. Mm -hmm. Nice. So obviously everybody here is here because of Star Trek Adventures. Um, And everybody here has got a hand except me in the writing of Star Trek adventures. I don't want to give myself any more credit. I don't have any of that, but um, with the most recent book coming out, which was uh Utopia Planitia, um, we've got a lot of new starship stuff going on. We've got a lot of everything else. Uh, what is your guys' favorite book from the Star Trek Adventures series so far? Like what thing has, has to you been the most essential book for Star Trek adventures? Like, for, I personally think the Game Master's Guide is probably the best written book I've read in a long time and it's one of the best, um, All-around RPG books, and for the purposes of Star Trek Adventures, I think it's absolutely outstanding and a must-have. So,
1: well, I I know Jim. I'm just going to jump in for Jim. These are all children to Jim, so he hates to call out favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let him off the hook,
4: though. I want to hear his answer. Yeah, oh
2: man, oh man, you're brutal, Uh, Michael. Why don't you go first? Give me a second to think about it. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I'm going to have to go with
1: the Game Master's Guide and Player's Guide. And I'm only basing that. um, I'm a little biased because I did. That was, I think, the first or second project that Jim had me in on. But it's because of the reaction of the audience, including people who never even played Star Trek Adventures and are actually just using it. To game master games, even outside of Star Trek Adventures now, because of the ethics that we put into the book about safe gameplay, um, making sure everyone's welcome to the game, which is, of course, what Star Trek's all about. So I have to, and, and I have to also say, because I've seen 13 year olds read it. And 18 year olds read it and be like, I want to play the game now. And to me, Star Trek needs to get into this new universe, this younger universe, to introduce new people to it. And so I really thought that those books were great just because of the excitement they've generated so far. And I keep hearing stuff about them. Even um, last one of our previous shows um, with, with Eric uh, Campbell from StreamPunks, who of course does Clear Skies and all that, he said that that was his favorite book um, for many of the same reasons. So it's really cool to see the, like the number one Star Trek adventure streaming show and some other um, people who play the game, Jackson Lansing, you know, a comic that they're, they're talking about these kind of publications. And that makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. All right, Jim,
0: you're on the spot now.
2: <sighs> I, I wanted to avoid this question. <laughs> um, <coughs> I wouldn't call. Yeah. It's hard. Cause like, if I say they're my children, then then that, that lends a whole different level to this, which is kind of weird, because uh, at some point, like I kick these things out the door, right. Um And and because they have to get done at some point, they have to go to the like pump. children. <laughs> they have to go to the printer, and they have to. They, well, I mean, kind of, right? Like I. No, would, it's I mean,
4: absolutely the same thing. Trust me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you've got more. You've got more experience than I do, Dayton. But uh, like, like I, I can't imagine kicking my son out the door, saying, you know, go earn your paycheck now um maybe (laughs) you will get there you'll get there you're still not jaded yet (laughs) fair enough um oh gosh there's so many i mean we've got 20 books out now plus all the all the pdf releases so this is i mean i'm just so proud of the line for six years getting so much stuff done but if i had a favorite book to pick (laughs) it'd have to be the core rule book I, i think uh because that was the foundation for everything and if nathan and the team hadn't done such a great job with it we wouldn't have any any of the stuff that we, I mean, we wouldn't have made it you know six years seven years or whatever um and it, you know i mean as a gamer when it came out it, it 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 was so close to the way i wanted to run star trek uh, or or so close to the way that i ran star trek just using like homebrew systems like the the faster games and the last unicorn games and the decipher games and all the other versions of the rpg were good but they never quite Gave me the game experience that I wanted at my table with my group, right? Um, so we always kind of like kit bashed um, systems, or we just made up our own and just kind of made it work. Um, but when we saw Star Trek, when I saw Star Trek Adventures, when we were doing the play test, uh, even before I got in as a um, as a freelance writer, I was like, oh, this is like this is like 95 percent right where I want to be, and I, that made me excited, right? Because then I got into into writing it, and I was like, shoot, if this thing can grow some legs we can do some really cool stuff with this, you know, over the over the course of the years with products and stuff. And, and fortunately we've been able to do that. And we couldn't have done that if that, if that original core book hadn't been so well received. Um, and, and, so, and so, you know, effective at what it does. So um, I think if I had to pick, of all the stuff on my shelf that I'm staring at right now, longingly, um, I've got to say the core rule book is probably right there at the very, very top. But I've got stories for every one of these books and I love all of them for different reasons. Uh, but I, I put the core book right up there at the, at the top. Nice.
0: It's an essential book. And I was playing Decipher Trek pretty much until the day the play test for Star Trek Adventures came out. And I was really excited for it. So, mm-hmm. um, Dayton, what do you got for your favorite Star Trek Adventures book so far?
4: Well, I'm going to offer a multi-pronged answer here. So, um, <laughs> so I'm going to echo some of what Michael said um, about the Game Master's Guide, because I think it's a wonderful way to introduce somebody to the idea of role-playing games. Mm-hmm and I like his phrase theater of the mind um, I like the way it approaches role-playing games in general and Star Trek in particular I think it's a great way that sh- that shows how to construct a good Star Trek story with all the different things that make a good Star Trek story but like Jim says that wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the core rule book and that lays down you know how we want to play Star Trek and how we want to approach Star Trek and the ethos and the all the things that we love about Star Trek. So that's my answer to the masses. Uh but from a personal standpoint, I think my favorite book is the Shackleton book because I had the greatest level of involvement <laughs> in that particular release. So it means that that it means something more to me personally, because I became very invested in that storyline and, and what Scott and I were able to put together. So two pronged answer. Which is also an excellent book.
1: Yeah, I want to add on that, too, because I recently did a review because I finished playing through the whole Shackleton Living campaign from the original, but then also the added ones in there. And I counted back and my group had played 14 of those modules and two of the mission briefs. And and it's what we talk about. And so that Shackleton book was definitely a great um, for us with icing on the cake for finishing our fourth season of a
4: campaign. And what I love about the book is that, you know, this this crazy idea that Scott and I came up with that I think was four, five pages. I think, I don't remember what the initial document was, but it blew up, you know, and then everybody else got involved. All the other writers came along, everybody added to it. Players played the game in the living campaign and they added to it. And then, you know, you brought in all the other writers for the book. So it's, it's so much more than what Scott and I were throwing back and forth, trying to come up with something for the living campaign. And I really honestly thought at the time all right, I came, I came up with a storyline. They're going to use it to Living campaign. They're test writing the rules or refining the rules. And then they're going to move on and do other things. That's I'm done. I, I'm not going to do anything else for the game. <laughs> little did it. I know that I would be pulled back into the whole thing. Um, so it was it's it was fun to watch so much spring out of that little bit of work that we did and let others came in and piled on. So from that standpoint, it's very gratifying.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm. Scott, what's your answer? You know, I
3: was not psychologically prepared for having to choose amongst all my babies for all these questions, <laughs> but um, but I'm just going to go straight to the Shackleton Expanse nice. for many of the same reasons that Dayton said, because uh, this was a much more uh, hands-on experience for me, and you know, it, I love Star Trek. I love working on Star Trek. I love working with friends of mine. And so the whole Star Trek Adventures experience has been like all that stuff rolled into one. And then especially in the Shackleton Expanse to really get back to some Star Trek storytelling uh, was just uh, a huge challenge and and a lot of fun and and very rewarding in the end after uh, Jim helped me through it because... One of the reasons I wanted to do it is because I like to challenge myself as a writer and do stuff I haven't done before. Uh, Part of me thinks if I had realized beforehand just how challenging game writing is, (laughs) I might have chickened out. But uh, luckily, I just dove in, Jim was there to hold my hand when I needed it, and uh, it was just very uh, satisfying in the end. I haven't yet gotten around to watching anyone play the game like online or something and i know that there have been but i i have seen people tweeting about playing stuff from there and to know that people are out there having fun uh playing your scenarios or developing your uh, you know uh characters from the species that you created very very rewarding
1: I have yeah. two thoughts i have two thoughts on that one one is it, it, definitely it's fun to watch people play it and i what i've noticed is i've played your modules and dayton's modules and jim's modules and people i'll watch how people play them differently i'll mm-hmm. look at their post play reports and stuff like that and that's what's really fascinating because that's going to tie into my second point which is my question to you scott you had mentioned that it was more challenging to write gaming modules. And can you talk to people about that, including you, Dayton, if you want to throw in, and Jim, of course, because you are both accomplished novelists. What's the additional challenge of writing a gaming module? I'd like to hear what you say about that.
3: Well, when you're writing straight fiction, you tell the whole story. It's all under your control. You know what the beginning, the middle, the end is, and you're driving uh, the reader to that point. Obviously, when you're doing a role-playing game, you've got to tear out a bunch of stuff that you would normally do to leave in the room for the players to discover their own way. And you still kind of have an end point in mind when you're writing sort of a series of interconnected uh, modules like we were. But that's what was so challenging. Yeah, I would find myself just writing things down and realizing, well, no, I can't put any of this in there. I have to... You're just putting up a framework to let those players f- discover their their own, uh, what, what's the phrase, the theater of the mind? You know, you have to give them the room to find their own play that they're putting on in that theater. And that is incredibly challenging to to turn off everything that you're used to doing <laughs> when you're telling a story. And just saying, no, I just, I'm
0: just hinting at, I'm just kind of, you know, Are giving really a little
3: thing here or there. Stripping
0: down the narrative. Yeah. 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 Dayton, did you ever
4: think for that? that? Yeah, I was going to say in line with what Scott was saying, it's like, that's the, you know, my, as a novelist, my biggest muscle pull was to not go so far. You know, it's like, I, but I, but at the same time, it's like, well, I'm not just going to throw up an idea and leave everybody hanging and I don't care how it resolves in my head i want to know how to resolve it uh you know i want it to make sense i want i want it to i want it whatever i leave out there i want it to make sense for the players and the game master to be able to take what we offered and come up with a coherent adventure you know or, or their own thing um it can go any of a hundred different directions but at least one of those is mine in my head you know and, and whether they ever find that endpoint that i had in mind is immaterial i just in my head it has to whatever I leave there as a a springboard has to make sense somewhere down the line, even if I never tell anybody that. Um, so that was my, that was my, and I jumped over that hurdle earlier on when we were constructing the living campaign stuff. I'm like, I read all this stuff. And then I'm like, Scott, all right, take all that out. (laughs) It's it's too much. You know, you're, you're basically telling the player, here's the one line to the choose your own adventure novel and here, you know, turn these pages only, you know, um, that's probably the closest analog is, is, you know, here's the thread through the, through the choose your own adventure book. Um, So yeah, that was fighting that muscle memory to not define everything, not close off. No, don't close doors, you know, but leave it for the, leave it for the the players to open their own doors or open doors. You didn't even know were there. Uh, But yet it all still makes sense coming from your springboard.
0: Yeah. Jim, did you have anything to add to that? You've done Uh, done a bunch of modules
4: yourself. So.
2: Uh, yeah, I was going to say um, uh, this is not unique to to Scott or Dayton. Like I think the majority of the writers that I've had on the line, especially who come from the fiction writing world, I, I think uh, you know Keith DeCaneto and uh, and Christopher Bennett uh, both m- mentioned that it was a it was a challenge to to get out of the fiction f- fiction mindset into the game writing mindset because you can't. You're not writing for characters that you know, right? You're not writing for Kirk or Spock or or Janeway or Cisco, and you're not writing for characters that you're making up on your own, right? You have to kind of write the module to, I hate to say archetypes, but you don't know what the players and the game master are bringing to the table. You don't know who their crews are. You don't know what they're going to do with the material and how much of it they're going to use and how much they're going to adapt. Um, and so you got to kind of like be really careful about what you put together. And uh, I, I've really tried to encourage writers to to minimize the amount of dialogue that they write in a in a in, a, in an adventure, um, because that's what we do as fiction writers. We, we're all about dialogue. We're all about the the narrative, and and we have the characters talking to each other. And so I I remember getting a few manuscripts from from certain writers or various writers where where there was like pages and pages of dialogue. And I was like, well, this is really great dialogue, but I've got to cut all of it because you you can't you can't know what the players are going to do or what the game master is going to do. And that's just the difference between fiction writing and and game writing. And uh, I'm just I've been so excited to see all the stuff that everybody's created over the years um being able to make that transition uh to that so i you know that's why i invite you guys back all the time because it's like you you got it you figured it out you're doing good and uh it's fun so um yeah so you know to any you know new writers who are watching who are curious like it's it is a skill set to learn to learn to write you know game writing versus fiction writing but it's totally doable and um if you if you find yourself an editor who's willing to work with you i'm not gonna say i'm a good editor but if you find an editor who's willing to work with you then, then that's worth the that's worth it right you know, to, you're, you're a very whatever, whatever game whatever <laughs> game you're playing right whether it's dungeons yeah. and dragons or star trek or uh, a vampire or something else right the same basic concepts are going to carry over from game to game you're okay. you're a very patient editor i know that <laughs> i'm going to go back to the
1: shackleton book because i noticed the evolution of the modules from the beginning i've been playing since the beginning and the evolution of the modules have been to what jim was speaking about i i think the sweet spot in the shackleton expanse was in digesting those modules i really had to sit back and be like okay what's my overall what's my overall epic are they going to be villains are they going to be uh anti-heroes are they going to be allies of the federation and i think I see a lot of the questions on the board from people like, are these good or bad? It's like, no, 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 you missed the point. And so Shackleton Expanse is really good on really leaving it to the players. Okay, you got your main characters, you got the technology, you got the locations, have fun with it and go with it. Um, So if people are looking to learn how to write gaming modules, I would definitely study that.
0: So this is a live show, and we do have some questions from Twitch that I want to get to. i got two right here, but one of them actually fits in perfectly where we're talking, and that's from NC Space Monkey. Also, thank you for the follow, NC Space Monkey. This question is, uh, are there any quintessential elements of Star Trek that you like to highlight in your stories or scenarios? Um, and that's a good question, I think, for everybody, and fits in real nice with what we're talking about right now. Good question.
3: I would just say the, the you know, characters trying to do what's right, no matter how hard it is. Uh, you know, just trying to find that road, um, you know, and that's something like, for instance, that that that's one of my favorite parts of discovery that we see the character of Michael Burnham just fall as about as far as you can. And then so much of the first couple of seasons are her trying to find her way back to mm-hmm. the right path and overcoming her past and, struggling to do what's right in the face of you know all sorts of problems and i think that's something that runs through uh, all of the series the whole franchise yeah
4: i think it's um you know uh, the quintessential star trek is you know you're you're reaching for understanding you know you you've encountered something that you've never seen before uh or a situation you've never been in before and or a belief system that you're not familiar with, that you're you're looking for the common ground. you're looking for the way through. You're looking for consensus and understanding and how to go forward. That's most Star Trek episodes uh, in some form or another, uh, when you boil it down to its basic, you know pillars. Um, so I think that games like this allow the players and the game master to explore those areas. and they don't, you know, even if they throw out the script, you know, they've decided they've read they've read our write up, they have read our mission brief and they like, well, I'm going to change a bunch of this stuff because I think that my players are going to do X, Y, Z in these situations. And I'm going to engineer some situations for them. That's the whole point. It's like we're just sort of like a, we're brainstorming fodder at the end of the day. If you think about it, we're just a springboard. They don't they they're not obligated to do anything that we've written. Right. So and I love the fact that the game not only uh, is constructed to allow for that, but it embraces that idea like go for it you know, i just i just spent 350 pages telling you how to play the game feel free to ignore all of them
1: <laughs> so
0: <laughs> right um another good question that i thought we got here is from uh and i'm gonna pronounce this probably wrong mike is free also thank you for the uh follow there um have scott and dayton or scott or dayton ever played star trek adventures or have you played it so far um, i know, I, know, it. I know jim and mike obviously played and i play so
4: I've I've only played it once or twice at a convention um, and it was sort of like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, sure. I wrote material for the game, but treat me like, a you know, please treat me with care. Fragile egg over here. Right. Um, I had a lot of fun with it because, again, I got I, you know, I played role playing games a lot more when I was younger. So it's not like I'm a, a complete alien to the idea. Um, but I just loved the fact that, you know, the game provides a framework, the game provides a foundation. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it lives and dies on the involvement of the game master and their commitment to making this a fun journey for their players. And I just had a ball. I mean, it could have been the alcohol that might've been part of it too, but it was like <laughs> it was like one or two in the morning when I walked into the room and said, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> um, so I just, I just, uh, it was, it's definitely a lot different than the RPGs I played when I was a kid. Of course, there was no alcohol involved back then. Um, so, because I mean, I played the old FASA game system back in the 80s. sure. Uh, and I I tried the last unicorn game, but, you know, I think I got one or two books in before they imploded. So I never really found a ga- I never had a core gaming group, though. I was never part of a like a regular group where we met, you know, all the time and played through a campaign. I was never part of that. So it was always a pickup situation for me.
0: Yeah. They
4: produced one of my I- absolute favorite books. But...
0: Um, go ahead, Scott. Yeah. I actually
3: have have not played, not only have I not played Star Trek Adventures, I never played any of the previous <laughs> Star Trek role-playing games. It's a, a, a strange gap in my uh, Star Trek obsession. Uh, I played uh, various, a, a couple different fantasy role-playing games in college and had a regular game that I was the game master. Uh, but then, you know, I just, for whatever reason, I kind of moved away from role-playing games and and uh, never got back to them. So I, I live entirely vicariously
1: through working on the books. Michael feelings to that. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, no, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I, my brain farting. But didn't you at least do a session zero with us? Did do, uh, you, oh, zero, yeah. you did do it. session zero. You did do a session zero with us. Yeah.
3: I did do a session zero. I'd forgotten. I I forgot that that would count. So I did have a. <laughs> my, I dipped my toe.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I created
3: a character and all that. that yeah, was created a character. Yep. Yeah, that was yeah, no, no, and that no. was a
2: lot of fun. Anytime Not your always. schedule opens up, we'll push you into the deep end and we'll get you. <laughs> 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 Nothing like I starting I was always a, a fan story. of the idea. Yeah. I was always a fan don't, of the idea of role-playing
3: don't games. Don't get me started I, about my schedule.
2: <laughs> oh, man. Well, I know I I'm partly you. responsible for
4: it. So, <laughs> so how I'm does sorry, Dave. You, Dave, what were you saying? Yeah. I was gonna say I never played Dungeons and Dragons. I was never I've never I've never been a fantasy person. I don't Maybe really either. do mm-hmm. so so back in the seven, you know, late seventies, early eighties, when when Dungeons and Dragons was huge, you know, I didn't I, I like the idea of a role-playing game and generating characters, and I love the storytelling elements that are inherent in role-playing games. Um, And so I ended up buying a lot of role-playing game books and source books, like for, you know, the West End games version of Star Wars. And I bought uh, TSR. TSR had a game that came out contemporary with the old Dungeons and Dragons called Star Frontiers, Mm -hmm. which is like a space opera RPG. Mm -hmm. And so I would buy those. And of course, FASA came along and uh, some other games, but um, I lost my train of thought. I just always, I never liked fantasy so dungeons and dragons was not a gateway to rpgs for me sure even though i could get behind i'm like i get the idea i just don't care for swords and dragons right give me robots and spaceships and i'm in oh here's star frontiers okay we're in yeah so so
0: how does playing you guys have obviously played everyone's played at least a little bit um except scott who's played a very very little bit how does playing differ from writing for the game or writing stories in general like you scott and dayton you both have a, a number of books dayton you've got a lot of books. It looks like I haven't read all of them. I've read a couple of them. Or uh, I have a couple on my shelf to read. Um, <laughs> when I have time, I'll get there. But how does writing? What's the difference? Right? How does the? How does it differ? Writing for Star Trek than it does to play Star Trek for what little you've done, or writing for the stories rather as opposed to writing for adventures. Uh,
4: well, that's a two. I guess so it's, it's a sort two of we sort of answered different. the first question. The so second part. The difference already. between writing for the game and playing the game. Writing stories um, in general, and playing well, I mean, the game, I, obviously. It's like Scott said earlier. You know, you're in control of all the, you, you control the board, you control all the pieces, you control how the dice rolls go when you write a story, mm-hmm. um, versus a game where you know you think you've got a handle on it as a player, but the game master throws a monkey wrench at you or one of your. What's the rating on this show? What's the what's the, what's the content rating on this show? <laughs> PG-13. Yeah. Okay, so. I won't go all the way there, but you know, one of the players in your group is always a jerk, and they're going to go do their own thing and screw up everything for the party, right? Right. So right. you know, you in a book, you kill that guy in chapter two. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I'm going to them
4: all them too. the campaign. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, now I have to ask. Now I, I've always wanted to ask this question: Have you ever used RPG or a randomizer in order to get unstuck in one of your novels to move the story forward?
4: I have written out several possible ways out of a particular thing and then roll the dice or throw yes. a dart just to oh. see what would happen. I was just, I would, I would idea jam it. I'd be like, okay, what happens if I go this direction? What happens if I go that direction? And you know, it's like, well, that doesn't work at all. That sucked. What am I thinking <laughs> when I did that? And so I, I love I, hearing that. That yeah. made my night. I'm done. <laughs> <we're> okay. <done. laughs>
0: yeah. Um, have you ever used any of the uh, Star Trek adventures or other RPG content to create stories? Like, I know one of my favorite authors uh was given a lot of books to write Star Wars stuff back in the early nineties. And he used the RPGs to help build the storyline, the, the the story that he was doing. He used a lot of the content from that. Have you guys ever done that for your story, Creation? Like yes. take taking stuff from the game.
2: Absolutely. I think um I mean I it's hard not to, right? Because like I grew up on this stuff. I absorbed FASA, I absorbed Last Unicorn Games, I absorbed Decipher, all the nonfiction material that came out for Star Trek, all the novels, of course, I got, I got so many great novels to, to enjoy. Like, And you can see a bunch of them right behind Scott, right? Uh, he's got his beautiful um, um, shelf of uh, Star Trek uh, books and lore there. Um, so it's hard not to draw on that when you're working, especially when you're working on Star Trek Adventures, or when I'm working on Star Trek Adventures. Uh, but I mean, part of it is uh, um, all that stuff inspired me when I was younger, and now I can kind of carry that forward into the next generation of Star Trek gamers. Um, but there's also kind of—I uh, don't know if this sounds weird or not—but there's also kind of, uh, I feel like, uh, I feel like there's an obligation to pay homage to the folks that have come before, and and to and to show that you know we're we've now you know we're standing on the shoulders of giants, as it were, right? We we're paying it forward to the next generation by acknowledging the folks that have come before, like the the great stuff that John Ford wrote for Klingons and all the great stuff that's in the fossil books in the last season. Like there's just great nuggets of material in there, even though sometimes they would maybe occasionally go far afield of canon and would need to be kind of like brought back a little closer to the fold. But there's still some great material in there. And we dropped like one of the, my favorite things to do about working on this game, whether I was just a writer or I'm actually you know in charge of it, is dropping in Easter eggs. To all the great stuff that has come before, like all the novels, the comic books, mm-hmm. the video games, all the different gaming stuff, all that is is fair game for us to drop in Easter eggs all day long. Um, we have a great relationship with Paramount and the and the review team, and and I think they've caught the vast majority of those Easter eggs, and they've either not commented on it or they give me a smiley face or they say, hey, this is nice, whatever. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Scott is a great resource too because he's our canon editor, and uh, sometimes I'll need I'll, I'll be like Scott, I need a I need a reference to the beta quadrant or something, and he can find a uh, an esoteric line in a novel from thirty years ago. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that works. And uh, so I think um, absolutely, I use I I I pillage this material all the time. I mean, it's, it, it's it's right here next to my workstation. This bookshelf full of Star Trek stuff, and uh, I can't help but but use it. This so is I'm,
1: my opportunity uh, to actually tell Dayton what we were talking about the other day, Jim. Too yeah. is I took one of his characters from the. Mm-hmm. Starfleet Corps of Engineers, the Horda engineer called Twolk, I think is how you pronounce it, <laughs> and he got into the latest book, *The Utopia Planitia*. So he's actually in an encounter in there, um, based on Easter eggs, because Jim encourages us to try to get them in if we can.
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I want to jump in and just say that that's one of the. I really enjoy when I discover those Easter eggs myself when I'm doing my canon review because I'll be going through the material and then there'll be some. You know, sort of thing that seems like it's a reference to something, and I'm like, "What the heck is that?" And I start, you know, doing the googling and looking it up, and then it's like, "Oh, it's some throwaway reference to something out of a FASA module or something." And uh, and yeah, that's that's fun stuff.
4: I've done that. I um, I've used uh, more so the older stuff like the FASA and Last Unicorn and. Other references, um, I've sprinkled Easter eggs throughout the different books. And uh, I know I used the Klingon material for when I was doing the Klingon travel guide because I was pulling from everywhere, you know, and, and a, a lot of people caught some of the little, just really small, you know, oblique references are like, I see what you did there.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, so, yeah, it's always fun. And, you know, I love the older material as much as I love the stuff that's coming out now. Like one of my favorite reference books ever is the old space flight chronology book that came out around the time of the first movie. And, you know, it's long since been overridden and run over by Canon, but uh, you know, I'll flip through that because the, the way that book is constructed with all the, the, the history excerpts and uh, the anecdotes and the personal letters and the diary entries and all that stuff. It's good idea fodder. You yeah.
1: Know? Uh, to Jeff's original question too, what is it going to take to get Shackleton expanse and the characters that were created somehow into Canon?
4: <laughs> uh, we're, we'll figure something out. I mean I yeah, I'm lower I'm, for ways it. It. I was gonna say if anybody does anything like that, it'll be lower decks. Yeah. Uh, um yeah. uh, if an opportunity to reference the Shackleton expanse presents itself in a novel, I will definitely do that.
2: Nice. Uh, I
4: can't nice. believe I haven't done it already. <laughs> hint, hint, hint. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't I don't have I don't have an ego involved in this, but I think it would because I, 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 Michael, you asked, you asked this question a while ago. I don't remember what, what episode we were on, but we, we, we were riffing on the idea that, um, you know, like uh, obviously with the, with the star Wars series that are out there right now on Disney plus, which are just amazing. Um, they're clearly pulling material out of the West end games. Yes. Um, RPG. Cause that's such a great w- warehouse of information. I mean, there's so much great stuff in the West unicorn games. Um, Star Star Wars line. Uh, I mean, that was formative for me when I was growing up. They, they had just so much stuff, right? And the, and that's really influencing all the TV series that are coming out now. And you would you would ask, gosh, I wonder if any of the production team members on the current slate of Star Trek stuff are looking at our stuff. And uh, you know, honestly, I don't know. I know we have sent care packages to a number of different people um, involved in the production, whether it's actors or uh, or other folks. So maybe you know, it, it's hard to escape. Star Trek Adventures. I mean, especially with uh, some of the folks, they can get easy access to the material if they need it. All they have to do is ask for the PDFs or whatever. Right. Um, but sometimes, like, sometimes I'll, I'll watch an episode and I'm like, oh, you know, that's like right next to what we're working on right now. I wonder if they kind of glanced at Shackleton or if they glanced at one of the other books or something. Um, and I'm just waiting for the day when when lower decks or Prodigy just throws a you know throws a throwaway line in there about the Shackleton Expanse. And my mind would explode because <laughs> uh, I mean, you know the Shackleton Expanse is such a iconic for us. Um, but it would, be, it would just be a, a hoot to see it on screen, just to just to see it, right? But uh, I have no idea if any of any of the production it, it, team. It's it's
1: worth mention. It's worth mentioning in case Scott and Dane didn't he, hear about the previous interviews we yeah. had with Thomas Moroni from STO. But the origin of the Ross class started in an RPG game, mm-hmm. which then got thrown into STO, which then gets put into Utopia Planitia mm-hmm. um, uh, book. Actually, let's rewind that chronologically it shows up on picard yeah so it made it all the way to tv show to canon Mm -hmm. and so several of the ships are now canon so it started jeff to answer your original question from an rpg game that eventually worked its way through Sto TV show and Utopia.
4: It, I think it depends on what you're talking about. Like, you know, to to put a ship in there in a program where you need background ships and you need ships, you know, taking up space in battle scenes and stuff. It's it's a way easier to pull something from Star Trek Online or Star Trek Adventures or right. or or a, or a Tech Manual because it's just you know the computer rendering boom put it on the screen. Um, to work something into a you know, if I could find a way to work the ship. And expands into a version of the map, you know, the, the, the quadrant map that you sometimes see depending on an episode, like I would, I don't have direct access to that, but if I could get, you know, the key to the back door when nobody's looking, I'd way to slip it in. Um, well, we got
2: a map if you get it. <laughs> Let us
4: know. Yeah. I mean, you know, every time I, when I look on the, when I see it on a show, it's like, you know, they'll yeah. have a big old map out there. And I, and I look automatically to the far right, like, you know, all right, I don't see it. Not so, there yet. Not there yet, but you know. We'll and, see. NPC Space we, Monkey. We might asked have a, to
3: start. Uh Dayton and I might have to start sort of nudging people
0: that we know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh NPC <laughs> Space Monkey follow asked a follow-up that was uh what is it about Star Trek? Jim, you asked earlier, you said something earlier about uh, Star Trek Adventures being about 95% of what you were looking for in a game. Yeah. Um, what is it about Star Trek Adventures that makes it feel more like Star Trek to you than than other previous versions of the RPG for any of you? Oh,
2: that's a good question. Um And this is only my opinion, right? And and so I'll take off my project manager hat and line editor hat and all that stuff. And just speaking as a gamer, uh, Star Trek Adventures is the first official Star Trek RPG that has come out that I thought enabled me to create Star Trek experiences at the table that felt like a Star Trek episode in a way that other ones didn't. Mm. And I think that's partly because like the core rule set, the real, the real, I mean, it's like when you get right down to the heart of the basic task resolution I'm not talking about the meta currencies or all the other, um, you know, great crunchy bits that you can add to it, but like at its core, it is a dramatic narrative storytelling machine, and it gets out of the way of the players and the game master creating that narrative at the game table to where you don't even have to roll dice for an entire session or several sessions. You're just riffing off each other, telling a story. Right? The game master is going to be like a writer, throwing throwing rocks at the characters to see what happens you know, get them up a tree, throw rocks at them, see what happens, do they fall out of the tree, do they manage to climb out, whatever, right? But but it is such a great engine for collaborative storytelling uh, that what, which in my opinion, a, a an RPG based on a TV series really needs to acknowledge the fact that this originated as a television series. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, it's not a, a setting that you're putting a character into, like, you know, maybe a, a fantasy setting or something, but because this is specifically Star Trek, right? Um, You need those those tropes and material that you get from a television show and watching Star Trek on TV, Um, even to the point where Nathan, when he designed the game, Nathan Dowdell, um, you know, the the basic scene economy that the game is built on. Right. You you do a scene, stuff happens. You do another scene, stuff happens. You do another scene, stuff happens. And that's literally what you're watching on the show. Right. Mm -hmm. You're watching the characters go from scene to scene to scene and things escalate. And then, uh, you know, and then it goes from there. So I think that more than anything else. Is what really got my uh, got my excitement going when I read the playtest doc, and not even the final version of the core book, but the playtest documents. Was like, it's all right here. This is a, this is a, a dramatic, narrativistic game where I can tell awesome stories with my characters and my or with my fellow players, and like we don't even need to touch the rule book once we get started, right? It's not like some games where you you, you grind the game to a halt because you got to go find some rule on page eighty six in you know Splat Book number fourteen. To figure out how to do a do a thing, you just you just make it up as you go, and um it and it doesn't punish you for that, right? The game doesn't punish you for that; it encourages you it encourages you to do that. So that's my opinion, anyway. Uh, so I'll put my hat back on now. And <laughs> Michael, uh, uh, Dayton, Scott, any other opinions on that? Um, I, I think I it never, just makes. Oh, go ahead.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, I just think it makes such a strong effort to focus on. On the characters and their and their life path, and so it really helps uh, to not uh, get distracted by like big space battles. You know, it's very easy when you're doing a, a game like this to uh, have those epic battles, and you know you can have those space battles, but there's just so much thought put in to how those characters develop that really going to help the players uh, have a rich experience in those characters uh, compared to other, uh, like I said, you know, I used to play some role playing games when I was back in college and there was just nothing in them that would help the care, help the players develop characters as rich and complicated as the process that's in Star Trek adventures.
4: I think. The Star Trek Adventures benefits from the fact that, you know, like I'll use the FASA game as an example. The FASA game was written in an era where Star Trek was the original series yeah. and it's the first few sp- films. So you know, now we've had many more years and multiple television shows that can show us just how many different ways you can create a Star Trek story. There is no one kind of Star Trek story. I mean, that was true even with the original series. But I think when you when you started adding in all these different crews and situations and settings and and premises, you realize that you know what is a Star Trek story? That is such an open-ended question, and there are Mm -hmm. so many ways to answer that question, and very few of them are wrong. And I think that the game, as Star Trek has evolved, you know, role-playing game has evolved. The rules were much more stringent in those earlier incarnations. I think the way that you all have designed the game to allow for adaptation or improvisation, you know, even, uh, I think it's much, much healthier for the game. I just, I think that's a better way to keep the players invested, the game master invested keeps them interested, you know, and the fact that, like you said, you can throw away the rules and the game doesn't punish you for it. You know, you don't have to roll the dice. You don't have to look at a chart. You don't have to look up a spell. You don't have to do this, that, or the other. You can just go, um, because that's, that's kind of like life anyway. You know, we have rules, but life breaks the rules all the time uh i love that idea i think i think uh, it's just that as star trek has evolved so has the the concept of what a star trek story is and how you adapt that to different media and you guys have knocked it out of the park so far as i can tell
2: yeah i think part of that too is um in addition to everything you just said i think um rpgs in general have evolved from the from the 70s and the 80s uh, on to now you know as things change and develop because like i can think of um like the FASA game is a good example. And then like even the, the old school D&D stuff, like the, the, the Redbox D&D and the, the early, early stuff. If you look at it, like just look at a character sheet, right? And you can see lists and lists of skills. I mean, just like really dense uh, character sheets full of skills and uh, and different things to where I think the RPGs back then were really more of like a simulationist kind of mode. And like, I don't know a lot about the, the simulationist versus narrativist uh, gaming circles. I know there's a lot of people out there in the industry that are all about that i, I kind of don't care um i just like to to get down into the weeds about skill levels and uh shield points and hull points and mm-hmm. and like you know ranges and and um uh orientation and positioning on weapons and stuff it's like i don't care i just want to tell a good story and all that stuff just gets in my way like I, I i totally respect that some people really like to have that in their games and need that in their games but that's not what I'm looking for from, from a Star Trek game. Like I don't care if the, if the, you know, if the, if the enterprise is here and the bird of prey is up here at a certain angle or whatever, and I have to position it just right. It's like, that's not the kind of game I want to play. If I want to do that, I would, I would probably either look for a miniatures game or a, or a computer game that can kind of bring me that kind of level of granularity. But for RPG, I want something way more snappy and narrative and, um, almost uh radio drama like if, if we can make it happen right. either at the table or, on, or online or something
1: Michael, oh yeah so i i honestly had never played any other versions of star trek games before adventures now i had picked up the books in gaming shops but honestly what kept me away from them was the mechanics um it was just it was that that kind of positioning or the and and So it never got my attention. I had played 28 years of superhero games before. I never played Dungeons and Dragons similar to Dayton, but I played Marvel TSR, Champions, Heroes Unlimited. Um, But I knew the format was comic books. And so um, Marvel TSR especially really played into the comic book format in my mind, which I was so familiar with. But what happened is when I saw, I still remember Star Trek Adventures, I heard about the Living Campaign and I picked up the Playtest rules. I remember specifically going through those modules and looking at the rules and I was like, this is easy. Yeah, I was like, 2D 20. And it was just, it was one of the few times picking up a role-playing book where it was so easy to understand. I know we interviewed Nathan about it, um, two interviews with Nathan about how he hit gold with, with the design of the mechanics. So So that actually got me for the first time after 28 years playing Star Trek because I felt I understood the storytelling mechanism um, w- with the, with the rule set. So that's, that's how it ended up for me that it sold me on Star Trek 3G.
0: I've played pretty much all of the Star Trek versions from FASA on up. Um, and I will say that I always felt like the decipher version was kind of a continuation of, of the old FASA one. Whereas this one is kind of an homage or not an homage, but like the last Unicorn games version of the, of the system really to me was a Star Trek feel, but what, adventures does uh it does everything that lug did but better um it's faster it's more narrative it's easier to play um i absolutely agree with jim that this is when i first when i first sat down to play the uh play test um it was exactly what i wanted from star trek it was with very little modification this this game this version of the game really represented the way it felt to watch star trek and as we were sitting there playing and going through and it was the adventure with the, um, the spear throwing giant. Uh, it was, it was one of the episodes of original series that got redone as one of the, one of the playtest adventures. And, is, and I think one, I think it's one of the Shackleton Expanse live uh, uh, living campaign adventures. Um, and it was absolutely fantastic. The players loved every second of it. And it was, it felt like watching an original series episode. Um, I think it's I, not to praise overly much, but I think that Star Trek adventures is absolutely the best version Of a star trek game to date Hmm. interesting
2: no and thanks i appreciate that um i I think it's interesting too um last unicorn games came out of course the internet was very different 20 odd years ago than it is now and um i think star trek adventures and and this kind of ties back to something you were saying earlier scott about um about watching watching an actual play on online or something um I think Star Trek Adventures really benefited from the online community of people playing the game and and, and putting the episodes online. Like I, I think Sheila, Shield of Tomorrow was a was a, a live streamed uh, game that uh, Eric Campbell ran, and um, he was he actually decided to run Star Trek, and he was running it even when it was still in playtest. Right, so they, their 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 episodes were coming out in 2017, even before the core book had released. We were still in playtest. And uh, that was so unexpected because we, I mean, we didn't plan that to happen, right? It just happened organically. And um, we were able to take advantage of that, of course, because it was like, holy cow, there's people actually playing the game online right now. And and we, could, we can just kind of like, you know, support them and they can support us and it just made it happen. But no Star Trek game had prior to that really had that, that level of um, engagement and, and opportunity to do stuff. And I think, you know, just the fact that that show is out there um, showed how narrative the game could be and how easy it was to get into it and how easy it was to make interesting characters and to care about those characters and stuff. Um, so Scott, you know, um, I know you, we referenced it earlier. If you have an opportunity, like if you have a spare hour one night or something, and you just want to, um, um, wind down with a glass of wine or something, you know, hit, hit YouTube and, and, and look up Star Trek adventures, you know, one of your adventures or somebody else's adventures, because sure. it is a, a singularly amazing experience to sit there and watch somebody run a thing that you wrote. And, uh, the only thing I'll say to that is like, I, one night it was a couple of years ago. I think I was in the throes of uh, editing the Klingon core book or something. Um, I just needed a break and I needed to just kind of like veg out for a bit. And I stumbled, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, YouTube being a rabbit hole. I, I went down the rabbit hole and I found a group in, I found a group in, uh, someone had recorded um one of the one of the adventures i wrote for the living campaign uh, uh convoy uh, 113 or something and um this this group was in germany right and it's like it was like this, you know six men and women around a table clearly playing star trek adventures because they had the they had the core they had the core books and they had the screen and they had the dice and everything else um and and the title of it was you know we're playing convoy 113 because i was in english but everything else was in german right so i didn't understand a word that they were saying but it was clear that they were having a great time playing star trek doing the thing they had little maps and they had you know the l cars layout on their um on their stream and whatever but it was just so neat to be able to watch somebody and like i knew that i had written that thing but like they even though i couldn't understand their language they were still having a great time it's just so gratifying. To know that this—that I mean—not just Star Trek. Obviously, we know Star Trek has a global reach, but this game has found a way to get out there to Australia and Germany and China and j- Japan and like all these places around the world that I would never, never even have imagined it happening. And uh, and we yeah. get feedback from people all the time. And like even Michael, you told me not too long ago that um, your blog, right, continuing missions, was such a boon to us too. But you uh, you are able to look at the um, uh, the the whatever the internet logs whatever, and you can Dude see Yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. You can see where all your all your links are coming from, like all around the world and stuff. It, which was amazing. You sent me those statistics, and I just couldn't believe it. Like yeah, I think the number of countries that you have coming to the to the website.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that makes it more memorable too. I'm gonna just risk to say for for those of you writing the modules, Scott, Dayton, Jim, is it's different to have someone read your Star Trek novel, but for them to actually play through your ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, we go back five years playing the modules and we still talk about them today because the conceptual Mm -hmm. ideas have carried and sometimes you know i i I read a lot of novels so i don't honestly someone say did you read this it's like yeah but i think you know (laughs) because because i was reading it i wasn't participating in it the same way as an
4: rpg module Mm -hmm. so to put a spin on what jim just described um i found out and i don't know how it happened it came across my radar but a group of players um, their game master had taken one of my novels and adapted it oh, nice. as a campaign or a module for the game. And, you know, they took, they, they changed things around whatever they you know, they did whatever, but I just like, okay, that's kind of mind blowing. And it was an unofficial fan thing. I don't, you know, and I'm just like, I kind of want to read what they wrote and what they put together. Cause it's fascinating that they, that first of all, thank you. I'm very flattered that you thought my story was worthy enough to be an RPG scenario um, I'd really like to see what you did with it. You know, I'm not, I'm wow. not worried about it. I just, I mean, you know, it was kind of a neat, I never expected that that came out of left field. I'm like, okay, that's, that's cool. Do you mind saying um, what book it was? Yeah, it was a, it was an original series book that came out a couple of years ago called agents of influence. And, uh, the, so the the idea is that the enterprise is sent to look for a missing starship, uh, that was supposed to be engaged in a rescue operation, Uh, and the ship has gone missing in this asteroid field and eventually they find it and basically the ship had to separate its saucer and crash land on a giant asteroid. And, you know, the Klingons want it. We're looking for it. There's spies. There's, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, So there's, you know, in hindsight obviously yeah okay any store any novel is a good potential setting for an rpg scenario but they chose that one out of all the star trek novels that are out there that's the one the guy picked and i'm like well okay okay Okay, we're gonna try to look we're gonna we're gonna try to look i can find this guy i would love to get a copy of his get a copy of his write-up i'm like i just want to see what you did i don't you know it's your thing go for it but it (laughs) kind of emphasizes where we go back to it's like the game is a great Idea spring, you know, yeah. great brainstorm, you know, trigger. And then you go a field any way you want. I'm like, okay, do that with one of my books. Do that with all the books. I don't
1: care. I, I'm making my quest now to find that person. You know, we have the highest viewership of any blog yeah. about Star Trek Adventures. So I'm going to try to find that person and get it posted on continuing missions. I'll let you know. Nice.
4: I'm curious. Okay. I mean, I mean, there's, you know, we. I think we. Jim and I have talked about the idea that maybe some of the books could be adapted that way, you know, into a RPG mission or something or but I don't know. I mean, I, there's a lot that has to go on before you can cross the streams, so to speak. Right. You know, uh, kind of, but but kind of in the same vein that that Modiphius and IDW have done, where they've managed to create companion publications for the game that are based on comic storylines. Right. Uh, like there's the Year Five and uh, what else? What's the other one? Didn't you, aren't you guys doing another one from based on one of the comics, Jim? Uh,
2: no, just, saw, just just Year Five so just far. Year five. <laughs> yeah we, we had, a, we, had a, we had a great conversation with uh jody hauser and uh, uh jackson lansing a few weeks ago and uh we he certainly dropped the seeds because he gave us a teaser about the new series that just came out yeah um and uh, and he got the ideas percolating about us maybe collaborating again but uh I mean, it's just too new it just i mean literally it just came out right oh no, it's
4: still they're still trying to figure it all out they just had a brainstorming or uh, a uh, writer retreat just a couple of weeks ago where they brainstormed the second story arc for mm-hmm. that ongoing, you know, for the the, the companion series. So yep. they're they're hard at work on that kind of thing. But, you know, they're they, they know what they're doing. Uh, but i would love you know to see there god give me give me time i'll create a list of all the of the books i think make awesome ideas for you know <laughs> yeah. and they're not all mine there might be a couple but you know and if you do you know so but it's i think there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of great star trek material that just didn't happen to be a tv show yeah yeah you know there's 50, yeah. there's 55 years worth of comics and games and books and you know you name it it's it's there's there's, there's all kinds of stuff and it's just sitting there
2: yeah you know wait
4: and it's yeah, all I'll, there. I'll tell you, Dayton. I, I I don't know how often you
2: you keep an eye on like the the Star Trek Adventures uh, social feeds, but uh, one of the one of the more common uh, I don't know if it's a request or just a statement. Like a, a lot of fans would love to see some sort of support for like a Vanguard uh, series or a Vanguard supplement.
4: And My suggestion
2: so- to you right Vanguard right in, now. In the- um, yeah. uh, Typhon well, su- pack is the other one.
4: My suggestion to you is to when we're done here is to send David Mackham email (laughs) and and, and see about you guys have a dialogue because I don't I, I would love to see Vanguard realized in some other form, but it can't happen without Dave. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Dave is the man when it comes to van- I mean it's got to start with Dave mm. uh, I mean I if, if he wants to drag one of or two of us in here I think but I mean I think I think he'd be immensely flattered with the idea that you would want to do that and he would probably want to be involved because that's that's one of his babies you know he just he just happened to tap Kevin and me to come along for the ride and we got to help out, but it all started with him and Marco Palmieri. So mm-hmm. uh, the Typhon pack is another idea that, that lends itself to this kind of thing.
1: Um, you I mean, and I honestly, about- Coda, I got to say Coda too, don't, don't count, you know, to be a David Mack and yourself, uh, but, but Coda itself too, cause so many of the characters are in the packs already, Jim, that, that kind of star in there. And yeah. it's, that one really can go in any direction. That whole story, mm-hmm. I won't give any spoilers for those who haven't There's- read it yet
4: yeah i mean we can i'm sure that uh, i think any anybody you know that's committed enough to the idea can translate a story from one medium into the, the game right right, right. And there's just a lot of good i mean stuff that you know is escaping our attention right now but if you start to sit down and like go through the roster of novels and comics you're like oh holy crap that's a great one you know i've never <laughs> thought about that one yeah so, i've mean, yeah, uh, adapted some yeah, of the older yeah. ones yeah. yeah yeah that's what i mean i'd go back i'd go back Again, you know, yeah. like do, do time for yesterday or yesterday's sun or, you know, that kind of thing. Or the Wounded Sky, you know, good, good Lord, do the Wounded Sky as an RPG game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about
2: Star Trek anyway, it's the blessing and the curse, right? The, the blessing is that we have 56 years of stuff that we can draw on, right? We got novels, comic books, games. I mean, there's just so much Star Trek out there that we can we can pull in, and, in this and create in some format. But that's the curse too, right? It's because there is so much stuff. Um, like even though this game is now six years, six years and maturing and we've put out, you know, 20 odd books and I don't know, probably at least 80 digital releases or something. That's a ton of content for an RPG. And we still have barely really scratched the surface of all the stuff that's out there. And like, you know, the, you know, the fans could tell us all day long about the stuff they want. it's like, I'm nodding my head. It's like, yeah, I want it too. I want it too. There's just only so much time in the day to get all yeah. this done. <laughs> and and
3: there's only so much room
4: on my shell. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, my thing is, you know, it doesn't have to be a straight adaptation or whatever. Yeah. Just the idea of the Typhon pack. You could right. Right, start with the idea of these four races or, or change out the races or do yeah. whatever. But yeah. they came together for this reason. Go. You know, I mean, that's to me, that's in the best spirit of the game itself. It's like a right. great corner kernel yeah. of an idea. But off we go and do our own thing with it. Yeah. Mission uh, brief. Except I, for I, Vanguard. If you touch Vanguard, well
1: I was, I well, I was even th- I was even thinking just encounter like an encounters. And, and we've talked, I, I've seen it batted around about just the big book of encounters. Mm-hmm. And if, if they had a thematic base, like yeah. mm-hmm. from the novels or the comics, that would actually be really interesting. I think I like, I'm i into cross-pollination marketing is kind of my background. So I love it in when one medium drags you to another medium. Like I always tell people, okay, you don't like the original series. I understand that. But start watching... The modern series, and you're going to yeah. end up you're going to end up going back and watching the original series. Yeah. So I'm all about that cross pollination. I've got a
0: lot of friends really? now who are well, friends, people that I work with who are much younger, and they all talk about Star Trek like they want to get into it, but they've never watched Star Trek. So they've been asking me, as someone who has been watching Star Trek for an uncomfortably long time, um, what to start with. And I get a lot of people started with like season three of Next Gen, and like if you like this, then go back and watch this, and then this, and then this, and you can get a lot, uh, a lot from all of that. And which leads me to a question that I wanted to ask, uh, one of the last questions I want to get to is what does Star Trek mean to you? like obviously, we have the games, we have the books, we have all these things, but what does it mean? What does Star Trek mean to you that what got you so into all of this? what got you the love Star Trek let's start with uh' let's start with Dayton with that one. you got the the most, I think Star Trek under your belt
4: what what is it what does it mean to me? yeah, what does Star uh, Trek mean well, to I mean, you? it's definitely. To me, the essence of Star Trek is it's a journey. Uh, and it's, you know, the basic idea that I try to apply as far as what is Star Trek, what is it supposed to be doing? It's like, you know, it's it's about us. It's about our journey and how we better ourselves. So it's you know, we were we were better than we were, and we can be better than we are. And how we get there, that's where all the cool stories are told. Um, so it's not. It, that's to me is what is the essence of any good Star Trek story or the ethos of Star Trek. Um, and to me, that's what sets it apart from different science fiction, other science fiction properties or other science fiction franchises. It's the only one that really you know, like I, I can look at that future and go, we could get there. We just have to work a little harder and we have to be a little kinder and we have to think of others besides ourselves. And we can have that future. Uh, it's the only one that has that leaves me with that overall idea or that overall feeling yeah
0: scott you've got a lot of you know the canon of star trek so what does star trek mean to you um
3: well a lot of what dayton said the the...
4: no 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 you get up your own stuff
0: (laughs) right
3: (laughs) I'm, i'm i'm gonna build on this though uh you know there is that foundation of the 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 hopeful future and people striving to be better but one of the key things I think for me, when I was a kid and first started watching it, uh, in retrospect, I think one of the things that really drew me in was the friendship of Kirk and Spock and McCoy. and just seeing, uh, you know how much these people meant to each other and how much they were willing to risk themselves uh, to help out their friends. Uh, and you know also those those personal, interactions, uh, is, is a lot of what it means to me as well. Seeing, uh, people just, you know, enjoying each other, uh, developing these great bonds and, and, uh, struggling through things together the best they can. And, you know, one of the things that draws people to every time that there's a new series, you know, you start seeing you know, like kind of, you know, where's the Kirk Spock McCoy analog? You know, you kind of sure. start seeing the way the characters develop, the way they interact. You start seeing the developing friendship between O'Brien and Bashir, or the uh, the 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 great weird friendship between Odo and Quark, or or whatever. You see, you know, and so it's those characters too that that really draw me in over the years.
2: Yeah, Jim. Uh, yeah, I think um, I, I, not to echo what, what's already been said, but sure. Star Trek is a, is a hopeful future, and and it, it really drives home the fact that that we could have that a, a version of that hopeful future, right? But the only way we're going to get there is if we work together, yeah. right? And, and so that that teamwork that that you see week in and week out on all the different shows, like the the characters may have bad days and may not like each other that much. Or like in the case of Bodo and Cork, maybe they they hate each other, but secretly they they really have a, a deep respect for each other, right? You, you still work together and you find your way through the problems, right? And I think that is that is a message that never gets old, right? I mean, even in this current polarized political environment that we live in, right? If people would just work together a little bit more, maybe we could get further <laughs> down the road. but. Uh, and that's that' that's Star Trek, right? It's like no one is out there by themselves, and dire things happen to you if you're out there by yourselves. You know you get uh, you get into real trouble. But if we can work together, then maybe we can achieve something amazing. And uh, you know, as a lifelong learner, I have Star Trek to thank for being a lifelong learner because like every episode, they're learning something new. They're doing something new. They're out there boldly going. They're not sitting on the on their uh, on their butts waiting for something to happen, right? They're out there actively doing it. And that's that's inspiring, man. That's inspiring to see people who are out there exploring the cosmos, not not for money, not for some great glory or whatever, but just to make humanity or I mean, not humanity, but like the 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 Federation or the Klingons or whoever. Right. Just to make it a little bit better just by learning something new and different and then applying that and then advancing forward. And that's just that's super inspiring um, for me personally. Yeah. Michael, how about you?
1: Yeah, everything they said, I think I'll also add this is that the fact that you can have it in this day and age, a TV show, novels, comics and RPG gaming where you don't need to have you don't have to glorify sex, you don't have gratuitous violence, you don't need offensive vulgarity and you can still have epic storytelling because I think a lot of writers are lazy in my opinion. I think they fall back on those for shock value and to get people in, but these modules in the case since we're talking star trek adventures and again it's emulating the tv show and the um novels and comics they show that there's more to humanity than those three things that humanity can have this glorious outlook and you don't need those in fact we said it before in a previous show it's like can you actually picture a world without violence some people can't and but if you want to live in the Star Trek universe, you, you pretty much need to, yeah. you know, can can you picture a world without prejudice and bias? If you can't, then you're not ready for that future. And, and it has to start now. And to me, I'm just thrilled that I can even be part of playing and making a game um, and part of a universe where I can play with anybody who walks in my house, young, old, background, culture, and it's inclusive. And literally everyone walks away feeling good. I challenge writers to do that. I really, it's a challenge. And to me, I I try to put that into everything I do to prove that it can be done. Now, maybe it's not going to be the most popular, but that just shows the state of the world.
0: So what's, (laughs) what's do you see as the future of Star Trek, both in terms of the show, not just both, but in terms of the show, the books, the comics, the the game, where do we see Star Trek going? Where do we want to see Star Trek going? Hmm. That's a good question, Jim. Where do you see the game going?
4: I mean, that's that's a, that's a kind of a loaded question. It's a lot of questions. Oh, the game. Well, that's so, Jim. Oh, Jim. Well, we'll start with the, we'll start with the my, my, game. Uh, Jim, I was going to say my last comment covered
1: it.
2: My last comment
4: covered that answer. Which, yeah, yeah say, that I think I that Michael's answer. got it covered.
0: So.
2: Yeah. I, I, mean, I, uh, I, I like the direction they're going. I think it was bold of them to diversify the franchise as much as they have, right? Mm-hmm. To go into lower decks and Prodigy and Discovery and Picard and even Strange New Worlds. Uh, like those five series are, are really different from each other tonally and visually, right? Yeah. Uh, but they're all still Star Trek, right? As at, at some varying level of Star Trek Ness, whatever however you define that. They're all on the they're all on the 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 spectrum, the Star Trek spectrum, as it were. Um and and I, I love like I may not love every episode and I may not love every series the same way. And um, but it's all still Star Trek and and like this is this is like nirvana nirvana for star trek because like we didn't have this even in the late, late 80s early 90s when we had you know next gen ds9 and voyager and all the movies coming out at the same time like that was pretty awesome plus there was a creation convention like literally every weekend somewhere in america right that you could go to <laughs> there, there was just so much star trek but now there's so much more star trek um i just want to see them continue to push the boundaries. Of, of of bigger bigger stories you know more more interesting stories i would love to see them get even more diverse with their casting and their characters i think being being not on network television could help them a lot but i think we're overdue for for certain not to say demographics but i think there are certain types of characters that we have not seen on star trek yet that i think we are long in in this modern you know 21st century we're long overdue to see on uh on screen in a real honest fashion i think we're getting there but we're, we're not we're not there, right? And we're some of us are impatient to see that. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, I think they're doing great, and I just I just want more. Like I I'm okay with Paramount Plus becoming the Star Trek channel 24/7, right? Give me that, and uh, you know get the licensing stuff worked out, and and put Star Trek on there all day, every day, right? And and keep adding more new great stuff, and keep the production values high, keep the the ethos alive and And keep it going. Uh, I'll talk to about the game later, but I just want to get other others' opinions on uh, where you where you want to see Star Trek going.
4: Uh, I, I think um, you know i I like the way that Star Trek works to evolve, you know in in step with how we consume our entertainment. So you know the, you know all the, old, the, the original sets of episodes, you know they're much more episodic, and that was how TV was done. And people have become more sophisticated in their viewing habits, and they or they changed up how they watch TV. They don't watch TV shows, you know, one hour a week. They they wait five or six weeks and then binge it all, or the, or you know it's released on the same day, so you watch it all. Mm-hmm. And you know there's there's no like I said earlier there's no one there's no one way to tell a Star Trek story. So as long as it's adapting for the format and the presentation, but still keeping its moral center what makes Star Trek unique from other storytelling platforms, I think we're going to be fine. Um, You know, I hear, I I read comments about how, you know, they love strange new worlds because it's back to episodic television. It's like, well, did you not watch deep space nine? You know, (laughs) deep space nine gave, you know, it started off kind of episodic and then went all in on the serialized format before that was even a thing. Um, You know, people, and then we, we have fans, you know, who, who come to DS9 having watched it on Netflix you know, where the entire run is available 24 seven and they binged Deep Space Nine. And for them, that was the natural way to absorb that story. And we're like, we had to wait a week between every episode, (laughs) you know, and sometimes longer. And if it was, you know, depending on where you lived, it might not air until one o'clock in the morning on on the very last day of a broadcast week or some crap. So, you know, uh, I like the fact that Star Trek is finding ways to reach new audiences but yet retain the key elements of what makes it Star Trek. We can quibble about what you know, what is and isn't Star Trek, but I, I have a lot of patience. I don't have a lot of patience for people who try to tell me that this is not Star Trek because X and it's some arbitrary thing that they've set up as an obstacle. I'm like, that's, you know, Gene Roddenberry himself was like, I'm quite happy to be here 50 years from now and see Star Trek being told by other people. And it doesn't look anything like anything I came up with because I couldn't imagine that at the time, right? Go with God and be, do it. If he can be happy with it, I can live with it yeah
3: yeah i just i i want to see them keep trying different things like they're doing you know and i've said to earlier questions i've talked about uh how special the original series is to me and uh you know if i ever have an urge to watch the original series i can go do that i don't need a remake of the original series uh they can you know try all these different things and yeah some of the things aren't going to land for me as much personally Uh, but then you go online and you know you see people that are loving whatever it is that maybe isn't your favorite and then you know well there's someone else that's coming to the Star Trek fold Mm -hmm. and so I just yeah I want to keep seeing them do different things you know so trying something as different as Lower Decks or Prodigy and Discovery, you know, so wildly different. But like Dayton says, it's all still Star Trek and it's just going to bring in new audiences. And and then like I can't remember who said it earlier in this show, but. Once people get inside, then so often they'll want to go back and see what everything else was.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah.
3: And they can enjoy the stuff for what it was and what it you know and the time period it came out even if they're uh, a younger person enjoying more the more contemporary storytelling uh, they could still go back and discover the original series and realize wow that was cool for its time
1: and you'll be uh, happy to know i have an eight-year-old nephew who prefers tos to anything else and what's funny what's (laughs) funny about him is he'll even call out the womanizing. Like, he'll say that, we were watching one, he's like, why is he touching, why is Kirk touching a woman like that? But he still (laughs) likes the show. But it's so interesting that this eight-year-old mind is involved to see, okay, (laughs) that's off, but I'm getting the plot line. I like the stories. You'll be happy to know that. Yeah, that's
0: great. Awesome. Awesome. This has been a really good show. I am so grateful to have been part of this one. Um, Michael Dismuke. Uh, Jim Johnson, as always, you guys do an excellent job. Um, Dayton Ward, um, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, I think you had a lot of response in the uh, in the chat. I think everyone was really happy to see you. So thanks for coming oh, on. Um, I mean, I
4: hope I hopefully I didn't say anything that'll you know offend anybody.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Scott, uh, also great to have you on the show. Um, I really would love to talk to you guys more uh, and just really everybody about this stuff. I, I love talking Star Trek, but we've been on for. Quite a while, a little over, I think, uh, longer than we wanted to be. But um, uh, I don't have anything else to add, Jim. Did you, Jim or uh, Mike? Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add?
1: Well, we like our gratitude. We always like ending in gratitude, um, appreciation. Um, so maybe what we'll do is I'll go ahead and start, and we'll have Scott Dayton and Jim um, do it. Usually, I do gratitude to the brick and mortars um, out there that are selling the book and encouraging people to get tactile with this content. But actually, um, since this is our anniversary episode of Continuing Conversations, I actually wanna thank everybody out there in social media who tunes in, watches, goes to the blog Continuing Missions. Um, I really wanna appreciate the fans who submit stuff because as Jim says, they produce way faster than we can with licensing and all that stuff. And they, I've never seen it before where they create something and then eventually Modiphius has time to catch up and do it. And then they love that too. They don't hate on it. So um, best fan base I've ever seen in any RPG. So my thank you is actually going out to to all of them today. Scott. Uh
3: yeah, I w- everything we do, we owe to the fans. Um, you know, and I started out a fan. 50 years ago and uh that i've been able to make this part of my professional life is amazing and it has all to do with all the other fans that uh are are uh, you know and the growing fan base as, as more and more people come to it so just thanks to everyone
4: yeah yeah i'm gonna echo that um you know if it wasn't for the fans i'd be still sitting in the cubicle looking at spreadsheets somewhere um so you know i'm definitely gratitude for the you know the people who read our books and the people who play the games and 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 respond to what we do and then they take our ideas and they spin them off into their own stories that's that's about as flattering as it gets right there uh you know and you know i gotta throw a little gratitude toward jim because he's the one that dragged me into this hellhole i'm sorry this opportunity (laughs) of without parallel um you know if, if it hadn't been for him i would have never stepped foot into writing for the game or most likely would not have so i'm grateful to jim for inviting me along for the ride
2: yeah i oh, I'll right back at you i mean i i uh you know first i'll just say i'm, I'm grateful to um all the writers who who i tried to pull in and, and they all agreed to it like you know Dayton scott yeah, you know, christopher you know keith michael everybody else like uh, to be able to have pulled on some of the professional and, and friendships I've made over the years, and, and that you all were willing to come along for the ride was just super encouraging. And like you said at the very top of the show, Scott, uh, to be able to do this with friends has been so rewarding over the last six years that uh, there's just no comp- comparison. Uh, right on top of you know thanking all of you for being along for it, though, again, it's got to be the fans, right? I, I've got my court book here, like, and, and this is this thing is so battered and torn from six years of heavy daily use i've had to i've had to tape it up a couple times but uh, the first the first 3 years i was involved in the game um i went to gencon right i made it made it a point of going to gencon to to get connection with the fans and i made sure that every fan who came up to the booth signed my book like i didn't it like you know sure it's great to sign their books cuz that's you know always always the polite right thing to do but like i wanted them to sign my book i wanted to give the fans an opportunity to be the superstar for a moment and sign the book so like i've got a ton of gold and silver sharpie signatures in here a lot of which i could no longer read because i don't know you know i don't know who it was but but like it is so gratifying to see the fans love and support and like i want to treasure this thing for as long as i can until it falls apart completely but uh, um i can't think i cannot thank the fans often enough i do it every show i think i think the fans but without the fans like star trek wouldn't even be around anymore right if, if, if the Trimbles hadn't you know done that that campaign at the very beginning to keep star trek going yeah. on a little longer yeah. um and then all the fanzines and just that whole that whole fan base that was created in the 60s and 70s uh we we have grown and built on that. And, uh, you know, every single series that comes out, every new series that comes out, the table gets a little bigger, right? We, there's new fans coming in every single time. And um, I, I, I am aware of that because now as, a, as the, you know, being in charge of this crazy thing, um, I see that there's a whole new generation of Star Trek fans, Star Trek gamers who want to get into the game. And that's, that's influencing some of the new products that we're thinking about because we're 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 rejiggering like who is our target audience now is is it the old gray beards like me who grew up with Star Trek from the 60s and 70s or is it the new generation of folks who are growing up on Lower Decks and Prodigy yeah <laughs> and so forth so like we got to there's like multiple generations now that we need to 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 service for like I told a- Jim
1: I represent the gamers with a six pack
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're a growing group. We're a growing, growing group. Yeah, and then you got the kids too, right? So, like, there's there's just so many opportunities to grow that table a little bit bigger. Um, not just for the game, but for Star Trek as a whole. So it's it's just a really cool ride, and uh, I we wouldn't be here without the fans. So thank you to all the fans, absolutely. Uh, but I would also not be doing service if I didn't also say, as the co-host of this show, thank you to literally everybody who is willing to come on to the show. And spend an hour or more with us talking about Star Trek, talking about the game, um, talking about their experiences and stuff. Because this uh, this Star Trek family is super, super awesome. And like every time I meet somebody new. They have like a Rolodex of stuff and they, they introduce me to more people and more people and more people. Mm-hmm. It's like, now I know all these people in the Star Trek world and it's so cool because it's, uh, you know, I get to be a fanboy too. I can be a fanboy. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I'll stop because I could go on all night about this. But yeah, thanks to the fans. Uh, far, far primary. Absolutely. I definitely Big want to thank, thank, thank the you, fans Jeff also. Oh, I have Jeff. I didn't want to miss thanking
1: you because you added yeah. and produced the show faithfully. Um, yeah. this is a labor of love for all of us. Um, yeah. you know, this, this show. And so, um, really appreciate all the work you do for us. I mm-hmm.
0: want to thank, uh, obviously all the fans too. The, this show has been going on for quite a while now. This is one year, uh, for this, uh, show episode number 52. Um, although it's airing slightly out of order, uh, the live is slightly out of order, but, um, I started STA engage with just the idea of having a, 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 fun way to talk about the game and get more people into the game and things like that. And when I couldn't do it anymore, uh, uh Michael and Jim, you guys took over and I think that's absolutely fantastic. The show has gone on for as long as it has. Um, I'm so, mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to be part of it. Um, even now, uh, Michael and Jim, you guys let me continue to, to do the editing and stuff. So I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. I like doing Thank it, you. so it's fun. And I'm really grateful to be on the episode tier today, especially with everybody that we've got. Um, and I thought this was a good episode. I thought uh, the people that uh, on, on Twitch seemed to really enjoy it. And I think, uh, yeah, that's what I got.
2: So, yeah.
0: all right. Awesome. Any right. else anything they want to add? If not, we can step away.
2: You know, uh, the, yeah. the, last thing, the last thing I should add is, uh, you know, also, I mean, for, specifically for the game. A uh, huge thanks to Nathan Dowdell, who developed the 2D20 system and the Star Trek Adventures game itself. And also thanks to Chris Birch, uh, president and uh, CEO of Modiphius, mm-hmm. for even, you know, attempting to get the license for Star Trek Adventures. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, at, you know seven years ago, nobody had the license. It just, it, after Decipher um, collapsed, nobody picked it up. And he, uh, he saw something in it and picked it up and went on from there. So thanks to Chris and to Nathan and to Modiphius as a whole for at least this iteration of the game. Um, so I want to make sure that they get their uh, their shout out, yeah. if you
0: That's want cool. to check out past episodes of the show, you can absolutely do so on YouTube. The show is available at uh, youtube slash Studio Tempo. Um, you can also check it out on Podbean and anywhere that find podcasts are given away absolutely free. Um, yeah, go back and check it us all out. I've got a link in the show notes. There will also be a link in the chat for those of you watching this on Twitch. Um, you can find all the stuff there in my link tree. It's linktree slash studio Tembo. Everything is in there. Um again, I want to thank everybody for coming on the show. Michael, uh, Jim, Dayton, Scott, thank you guys all for being here. And with that, I guess, uh, live long and prosper. That's
4: it. I-D-I-C. Well. No, no, no. no. no, no, no. Live blog and prosper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the new one. <laughs> good one. Uh, be
2: safe. Be well, everybody. Talk to you next time. Have a good night. See ya.